Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGraw. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. So, I already said the title, and I won't say it again too much because I might say it too loud every time I say it. But, let's get started. My whole life, as you can tell, uh, I have moved quickly. Uh, I talk fast. I walk fast. In fact, I don't walk. I run. I don't walk, right? Tunkles don't walk for some reason. Um, so, I, I just decided that my life was going to be productive in ways that I could compare against other people, right? I boasted in how fast I could do things, how productively I could do things, um, how quickly I could finish a job, how much I could run, how fast I could whatever. Whatever competition that involved speed, I was in for it. Um, I was intolerant of slowness in any way, right? So I didn't like walking. I definitely didn't like calling walking an exercise. Come on. Um, I definitely, I didn't even walk in college at all outside. I never walked. Um, I I don't know, this is weird, but I ran from my dorm to my class, and then from the class to the cafeteria, cafeteria to the class. When I got tired of doing that, I brought rollerblades. Yes, it was that nerdy. I brought rollerblades to college, then I got faster, right? I rollerbladed from class to class to class, and then eventually I brought my car and decided I was just going to drive fast everywhere, right? And as Long Islanders, we kind of understand that, at least to an extent, maybe not to the extreme that I took it. Um, but uh, I went to school in the South. So I was intolerant of slowness of every kind. People talked slower than me. They walked slower than me. They moved slower than me. We, as percussionists, as a music major, we moved our stuff all the time. And I ended up moving like two-thirds of the stuff all the time, more than the 13 other guys that were moving, because I was just crazy like that all the time. Um, And that all changed on the day that Emily told me I was going to be a father. And I might cry during this, so I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) So on the day that Emily... Uh, told me I was going to be a father. Um, God just ripped open my heart and showed me that speed was not going to be the answer. Wow, I'm going to cry. Speed was not going to be the answer for leading my family well, for raising a daughter, for loving my wife well. In fact, speed was not the answer to any of my problems, um, although I had thought it was. Um, So, hence the title today. Uh, this, This is really about me being so surprised Um, at things that I've learned in this last year of just finding out and and becoming a father to my beautiful daughter, Karis. So God told me in that that moment and in that the following weeks after that um, that the life of speed and hurry that I was living actually was keeping me from pursuing him. Um, And again, that shocked me uh, to all extents because I thought, I could work for God by hurrying and by overproducing, right? I could, I could become a leader faster than other people. I could lead groups, right, at a younger age, which I did. Um, but it was actually all those things that, was ke- that were keeping me from following him, um, which, is, which was shocking to hear and is still shocking to say. Uh, and yet, let's think about hurry, right? Hurry is not a fruit of the Spirit, right? It's not in that list, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it's, and efficiency is not one of the apex gifts, right? Apostle, prophet, efficient, no. Manager, no. Okay. Um, so, so God invited me, and I know I'm talking fast. That's because I'm nervous, not because I'm hurrying, I promise. Uh, <laughs> so God, has in, God invited me in this journey to pursue him through eliminating hurry and through investing in the spiritual practices 
of Jesus. And we'll talk about the spiritual practices a little bit later, but let's, uh, let's talk about um, the hurry part first. So throw up this next slide. Oh, hey, look. Nice job, Amy. Awesome. Um, so this, I apologize. This is my inner elementary teacher coming out. There's a lot of clip art involved. Um, and you just have to deal with it. So here's a little history lesson as I build up some tension for hurry, right? In 200 BC, the sundial was created, right? Humanity rejoices. We can now keep time. Yet one of the philosophers, one of the famous philosophers of that time was remarked, um, was recorded cursing the person who invented the sundial because he said, why has my day been chopped up into pieces like this, right? Weird comment for us looking back. Okay, he's just weird. Moving on. Fast forward to 1370, the first public clock tower was uh, erected in Germany, right? This is a huge step for mankind. We can now um, function on the same schedule as everyone who can see the clock, right? That's a pretty significant step. And they're all pushing us towards progress, right? The next invention that's significant here, the light bulb in 1879. Is that wrong? That the, the date's right, okay. Um, Thomas Edison, we, we consider him the, the chief of all inventors, basically, in human society, right? The ability to work and live uh, even when there's no light outside, right? Really, really significant invention. Um, one more before I make my point, hopefully. In the 1950s, we see all these labor-saving technologies, right? The toaster, the microwave, all the weirder stuff that didn't make it to the 2000s from the 50s. Um, so much so, so many saving and productivity devices that by the 60s, um, a Senate subcommittee predicted that by now, we would be working a 20-hour work week. Huh, yeah. Um, I guess they couldn't have been more wrong, because we're currently, besides France, we're currently working more than any generation of the world ever has. Um, that's a little scary, hopefully, if you hear that. Um, the internet, of course, was invented in the 70s, gave us the ability to be connected, blah, blah, blah. We know this stuff. The iPhone, and of course, today. Right? Today we have the ability to work at any time of day with anybody around the world and have all information at our disposal at a whim, right? As, at a click of a button. Right? Everything's available and even in our pocket. We don't even have to go somewhere to get that stuff. Um, and so each of these advance, advancements looks good and it has helped us to achieve productivity as a race. Um, but it has also driven us in only one direction and that direction has been speed or hurry, right? While each of these things have had such a good, um, a, a good side to them, they also come with a cost, right? The clock allowed us to unite, but it also constricted all of us to a schedule, uh, and so on. Uh, so let's, uh, hold on, don't go to the next, uh, whatever, it's okay. Um, so it's actually a human condition that we've been diagnosed with uh, by psychologists. It's called hurry sickness, okay? And I think you'll all, now that we can go to the next slide, I think you'll all realize some of these symptoms that you and I have all the time. What are they? Irritability, <laughs> hypersensitivity, restlessness, workaholism, emotional numbness, out-of-order priorities, lack of care for your body. This is the big one for me, this next one. Escaping reality through addiction to, uh, through, escaping reality through and addiction to Screens and substances. And of course, feeling disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. Our generation has never been more disconnected than we are now from other people, not just because of COVID, but from technology also. Um, it is weird, by the way, I know Doyle remarks every week about the masks. It is very weird to see everyone just half a face. 
I uh, just had to say that. So let's, let's look at this, the one that I put in all caps for a second. Escaping reality through an addiction to screens and substances. All right, this is something that we know, or at least we have an inkling, that all of humanity, or all of Western culture at least, deals with right, in some way. Um, in fact, let's talk about one of the most popular ways that we spend time um, escaping reality. Social media. Hit the next slide. So this is a quote from Facebook's first president. I'll explain my beautiful drawing in a second. Um, this quote says, I guess I should pull it up. It's a social, this is about Facebook, right? It's, or social media in general. It's a social validation feedback loop. Exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. Right? Um, why is that goldfish there? Does anyone know? That is a goldfish. I know the artist rendering is um, a little, little troubled. But um, why is that goldfish there? Because we have a shorter attention span than a goldfish now. As of 2019, humans have less ability to focus on one thing than a goldfish does. Eight seconds. Eight seconds is our ability as humans to focus on one thing. What? See, I even wrote it there. Wait, what? How is that even possible? How have we, how? How is a goldfish beating us in the ability to focus on one thing? That just, I can't fathom that that's true, and yet, here we are. Um, so, before we go on, social media, I'm just going to, this is a little bit, this is a side, a, an aside here. Um, we don't really consider how social media works very often, right? We think that uh, it works for us. It was created for us as the user. Uh, we're the customer, and Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, they're the uh, business that we buy from. And yet, we don't, we don't buy anything from them. Do we buy anything from them? No, in fact, we don't pay them. Someone else pays them, and those people that pay them are other businesses that are paying for ad time and our attention. So, in fact, we are not the customers of social media. We're the product. We're the commodity being traded. Our time, our attention is the thing that's being traded by companies and social media companies. Uh, and anytime humans are referred to as products, I think we can all agree that something very bad is, is happening. Um, okay, that was my aside. Does anyone know what that number means? Oh, I, I changed the slide on my computer but didn't change it up here because I don't have that power. Does anyone know what that number means? 115 is the amount of days per year that Americans spend looking at a screen. That is one-third of our entire life. That includes the hours we sleep. One-third of our entire life as Americans is spent looking at a screen. All right, and there are some more details down there. If you can see that small, good for you. You have good eyesight. I don't, so I'll tell you them anyway. Uh, Americans can touch our phones up to 2,600 times a day. We watch our phones for two and a half hours a day, and we watch TV for three and a half hours a day. Whew! Again, the title of the sermon is applicable to these statistics. Um, so why is the question that obviously this leads us to. Why, do we start, why are we doing all these things? Why is our society going in this direction? Um, well, that's a good question. Why don't we even hear about this? Well, we don't hear about it because, like I said, we're, we're products, so the products don't need to be informed of what, why they're being traded, right? We do, you don't tell your banana why it's going to another person when you, you don't give someone with a banana. That's weird. Never mind. You don't, you don't, nah, it's not even worth going into that analogy at all. Uh, <laughs> so we are born into this system and this culture of hurry, right? And it's taught us to choose work 
over, over family, over our relationships, over other priorities, right? It's trained us to um, look for, oh, that's okay, it's gone. Look for this cheap rest of screen time, right? Because the harder we work, the more desperate we are for a break from that work. Right? So we, we will take the cheapest and most convenient thing we can possibly find, which is, of course, a screen. Right? If you have an option between doing something and something involving a screen, chances are you're going to pick the screen. If you give your kids an option right, between something and something with a screen, the choice is easy right? because it's an easy form of rest. I'm not even going to call that all the way rest. Right? I'm going to put that in air quotes. So it takes intentionality to live outside of what's convenient. That's what God taught me um, in, that, in that moment, in that time of, of realizing that I was going to have to be intentional with my thoughts, with my actions, and with my plans in order to lead my family well, to love my wife well, and to live in relationship with him. So my goal here is, is really just to share that journey with you. Um, it's not to tell you what to do. I'm just going to let God challenge you in any way that he sees fit. So the rest of what we're talking about today is just the journey that I've been a part of, and I'm, I'm Welcoming you to be challenged by God in that. So, um, give me the next slide. This is the quote that all of what I just said is building to. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your lives. Hurry is the great enemy of spirituality today. Okay, if you don't like this guy, who, by the way, very famous theologian, he's, he's passed now, but you should look him up, Dallas Willard, very cool guy. Throw the next slide up there. This is what Paul says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as, wise, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Okay, so Paul says it even more drastically than Dallas Willard does. He doesn't say it's just an enemy. He says, make the best use of your time because the days are evil. So that leads us to the questions that, uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say too many words. That leads us to our, some questions we can ask, right? Can we bear the fruit of the Spirit and have hurry? Can we walk in hurry and have joy? Can we walk in hurry and be humble? No, because hurrying is saying that what you want is more important than everything else, right? We, can we walk in hurry and gentleness? Probably not. Uh, can we walk in hurry and patience? I think that's, that would be the most obvious no. Let's just sum it all up. Can we walk in hurry and love? Let's make it more practical, right? Um, we are, you're hurrying out of the house, right? You're late for a flight, right? And of course, your spouse or kid who is always late is making the family late. You're going to miss your flight. It's going to be gone without you, right? So you packed, you've been sitting in the car steaming for two minutes, right, because you're already late, you walk back inside and you say something. Is that something loving or is it out of hurry? Is that something loving and gentle or is it harsh, blunt, drastic, maybe offensive, (laughs) maybe an an expletive of some kind? (laughs) Um, For me, I think the answer is that it's, it's usually a fruit of hurry. So, That's how hurry can affect our relationships. Think of it even more practically than that, right? Think of my relationship with Emily. If I was to hurry all of the time that I spend with Emily, what would that do to our relationship, right? If I was to uh, talk to her in a hurry, if I was to expect her to hurry with me, if I was to sit in a conversation and rush her through what she had to say because I have better things to do, how would that affect our relationship? 
It would not be good for me. That's the answer to that. Go to the next slide. Here, here are our three questions that will lead us into the spiritual practices. So how will we spend our time? Maybe more importantly than that, did Jesus hurry? Hmm, we'll find out in a second. And can we follow Jesus in a hurry? Well, we already said that the fruits of the Spirit and hurry don't mix, so that's uh, not great evidence to support a yes there. Um, let's see. We already talked about not being able to love and speak in love while we're in a hurry. And then the answer to this question for me, did Jesus hurry? The answer is no. If we, see, if we look at Jesus in the Gospels, he wasn't late. He didn't run. He didn't rush people through conversations. It seems like the evidence is overwhelming. So go ahead and throw up the next slide. What I want us to do here today is, again, I'm just going to share my journey with you of, of, following, uh, of walking with Jesus in some of these spiritual practices. Now, spiritual practices can also be called spiritual disciplines. Um, they can be called spiritual formations. They are not laws. Um, they are not rules. Uh, but they are things that Jesus did regularly in the Gospels. We see Jesus doing all of these things often. Okay, so that should tell us as people who claim to follow Jesus what we should be doing, right? If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, these are the, these are the things he did a lot of. Um, so the first one is silence and solitude. This is uh, the hardest one possibly for, or definitely for me. Um, it was the most shocking one for me. But it may be the most important of all the spiritual practices. Silence and and solitude. Just think about how that flies in the face of the word hurry. Jesus is recorded doing this, uh, retreating to silence and solitude all the time in scriptures, right? We, we know the verses uh, in general. Jesus, re- Jesus left to go to a deserted place. Jesus retreated to go to a lonely place. Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. In fact, Jesus left Um, his ministry to go pray at a time where publicity-wise he could have had the highest peak of publicity in his ministry. He just left. He just left to go be with God. So there's only three steps to this, silence and solitude. I know it's weird. It sounds like it's just two steps, but here are my three steps. One, just shut off all the outer noise, all the external noise, like this. That's what it sounds like, yeah. Uh, two, get alone. And yet, solitude doesn't mean being alone, like lonely. It means being alone with God. Right? So you're not trying to get away from God. You're trying to be alone with him. It's like you want to be alone with your spouse to spend quality time with him. And then the third, and this is the hard part for me, as you can tell, um, is to silence everything internal. Right? All of the thoughts that are running, the jokes that are running, the terrible dad jokes that keep coming into my head no matter what I think or say, all of those things, just get them, let them pass. Let them pass and be with God. Don't be with yourself and your thoughts. Be with God. Silence and solitude, it's a tough one, but like I said, it might be the very most important thing. It's about relationship. Right? It's the same thing I've been talking about with me and Emily. If, if I'm not coming to her and giving my focus, she's not even in here, so I can't point to her. So if I'm not giving my focus to her completely and not, I mean, Kathy, if I, had a phone, if I had a conversation with you and I was on my phone while we were talking, would you feel like I was paying attention to you? No. 
So it's about relationship. And just like human relationship, um, our relationship with the Father takes time together to build. That's not a, I'm hopefully not a wow concept. That's just a relationship, right? It takes time together to build. The next one is worship. Probably my favorite. Uh, I really like this word. And yet, uh, especially in church world, worship really just means a genre of music, right? Right? That's, I mean, yeah, that's really what it's, it's come to mean in America. Uh, and it's unfortunate because worship is so much deeper than that, and it's so much richer than that, and it's not a genre of music also. So <laughs> here are some words, um, some definitions where we see the English word worship. These are the definitions of the Hebrew and Greek words that we see. Listen to these. They're not on the board, so there's nothing to see up there. To boast to the point of being foolish. That's my favorite one. To extend hands, to bless, to sing, to play an instrument, to shout, to jump for joy, to bend or bow, to adore, to dance, to glorify and magnify. Do you see the thing is, none of those things are passive. Those are all active Right? Worship is an outward expression of our inward heart towards God. So if our outward expression is a passive one, right, then that's what we're reflecting that, that our heart looks like. We want, to, we want worship to reflect what's in our heart toward God. And so all of those things are really, really great reflections of a rich and loving relationship toward our Father. Bill Johnson once said that um, worship was so important that if he only had 15 minutes in one day to spend with God, he would spend 10 of them in worship. Uh, and that's something that blew my mind. I have never been close to that ratio. And um, even just the, the little bit of worship that I did to prepare for today really changed um, my relationship with God. It really did. I was, I, was in, I was in the building just going back and forth between worshiping and prepping. And it was, it was really amazing. Um, so I highly suggest that. Uh, anyway. Worship and joy, uh, they can't start without the capacity to turn our mind's attention toward God in the moment. Let me rephrase that from wordiness. You can't worship unless you can put your attention on God, right? And so our eight-second attention makes that a problem, right? If we can't pay attention to God, how are we worshiping? And so, again, I hope you see that these spiritual practices fly right in the face of our culture of hurry and speed and production, Okay, that's the dichotomy I'm trying to give you today. Um, if we can't focus our attention for more than eight seconds, how are we focusing our attention on our relationship with our Father? All right, the next one's a little controversial. Throw that up there. Shabbat, or Sabbath, as we call it in English, right? Um, finish this sentence for me. The Sabbath was made for man, not... Thank you. Is that Emily? Okay. <laughs> the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right? What was Jesus doing when he said that? He was attacking the religious system of the day. Yes? Okay. They had it backwards. They had the law before the life. So you had to walk through the law, and it's, it kind of blocked you from coming into the life of that command. And yet, we threw both out. We threw the law out and the life out. Right? Jesus made two statements there. He made an affirmative statement about Sabbath and a negative statement. He said, the Sabbath is made for man, and then not man for the Sabbath. And we said, oh, cool, we don't need those, cool. Um, and fortunately, it's, it's led us deeper into the culture of hurry. 
right? Sabbath, again, just like these other things, flies in the face of a culture that says, work until you drop, and then when you drop, have a screen, and then get back to work. Um, Here's a quote from a pastor that says, we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. I didn't need to reference that because I feel that that's pretty true. (laughs) I feel that that's pretty true. If you look at our culture, right, we might be the healthiest people physically, and yet here we are, right? We're exhausted as a culture, we're malnourished as a culture, we're overworked as a culture. Um, And the thing that Sabbath does is it, it allows us to step into the natural rhythm that God created in creation. Right, when God made the world the way he made it, he made it with a day of resting. And so in Sabbath, we step into that. We get to just join in, hey, God did this. I'm going to do it too. Cool. It's pretty cool in here. And then I'll go back to work. Um, so my guidelines for Sabbath, this is what I've heard many times from different people, is just stop what, what I'm doing. Stop my to-do list. Stop my, my purchasing, my errands. Just stop it. Worship. Rest and delight in God. And for me, that makes for a really good day. That's, that's a really, really good day. I'm doing it right now. It's really good. Uh, it's, it's God calling us to surrender all of our stuff, all the stuff that gets in the way of us and him, uh, and then sacrificing that time in obedience to him. And the cool thing is he's not just saying, hey, I want you to do this. He's saying, hey, I want you to do this, but when you do this, you'll be stepping into something that I've anointed as holy. You'll be stepping into a day that I've called holy. And that's pretty cool. And I can tell you it's pretty darn rewarding to step into that. Um, so Sabbath has been an amazing practice for me. And I would say that if, if you're not doing Sabbath, you're missing the best day of every week. It's really good stuff. I encourage you to do it. Um, another one that's like Sabbath uh, in that we're sacrificing something and then God's also blessing that is tithing and giving. Right, this is another one that, oh, go ahead and put that up there, is tithing and giving. So this is another one that is controversial, just like, just like Sabbath is, right? We think, oh, well, that was thrown out with the law, right? Um, and yet God calls us to do a couple things. Um, I figured I'd need some verses for this, so I put two of them up here. I'll read them off of mine. This is Paul. He says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Pretty simple. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, maybe you're like, hey, Paul's not good enough for me. Well, Amy, go to the next one. This is God. So if Paul isn't good enough for you, this is what God says about giving. Uh, He says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. What? Put me to the test. That's weird. God doesn't say that very often. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That's God saying that. Not Paul. Not someone else. That's God saying those words. Then he says, I will rebuke the devourer for you, pretty cool, so that your vine in the field shall not fail to bear. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. 
So it's not coming from me. It's not even coming just from Paul or just from Jesus, although that is, that is God also. It's coming right, <laughs> right from God here in Malachi. Uh, that's pretty amazing stuff. And so the only point I want to make about this is not a point of rules or laws or anything. It's just that God is calling you, just like Sabbath is, God is calling you to sacrifice something in obedience, not out of obligation, in obedience to him, and then blessing us for it. Uh, and that's pretty awesome to me. When we get to obey God and sacri- in sacrifice, and then he turns around and just goes, hey, boom, blessing. Um, I love that. It's amazing. I highly recommend that. So again, all these things just fall, fly right in the face of hurry. Um, tithing and giving and Shabbat is, are just two of them. Let's go to the next one. The next one is slowness. You could tell why this might have been a challenge for me. And it was. It's still. It still is. Um, slowness is directly opposed to my worship of speed. Right? My favorite superhero was The Flash. <laughs> it's, it's really ironic when you, know, when you think of it, how, how deep I was into just loving moving fast. But this was literally the opposite of everything that I was pushing myself toward in my career, uh, at, as a leader at church, uh, in, in our family as well. Right? My goal was to move things fast. And yet, here we go. Jesus moved slowly. Well, okay, me. If I'm saying I want to follow Jesus, then... Uh, why am I not moving slowly? I don't know. It's hard. But slowness is uh, exactly what describes Jesus in the Gospels. Right? As I said before, he, he moved at a pace. Um, someone called it the pace of grace. Did you call from the, yes, from the leadership conference? The pace of grace. I like that because it rhymes, but it's not my point. My point is Jesus moved slowly. Right? He didn't rush people out of conversations. He, the guy that he had to heal twice with the eyes, he didn't say, ah, oh, you're good enough. You can see trees. Go ahead. Um, he didn't rush through anything. <sighs> so it really just challenged me to ask, am I walking in Jesus' footsteps? And this was the next step for me. It challenged me to drive slow. Not just slow. I drive almost the speed limit now. Almost the speed limit, Long Islanders. Do you hear this blasphemy that I'm saying? I drive almost the speed limit. That's crazy. I never thought I'd ever say those words. Um, it, it challenged me to not just walk, but to walk slow. In fact, it's been my goal with my Apple Watch to slow down my walking pace, right? I just, you know, you play little games with it just to make it fun. Um, it's challenged me to think before I speak, which I'm sure all people in the world appreciate. Um, it's challenged me to turn my smartphone into a dumb phone to take away all the pressure of notifications 24-7, the pressure of having my work email on my phone, the pressure of people being able to contact me whenever they want, um, everything else that I've already talked about. Uh, I try to make my phone as dumb as possible, um, and it's been delightful. I don't have my phone here today. That's an amazing statement for me. I, I think that is beautiful. Uh, and yet, the more beautiful things is what slowness has led me to. Slowness has taught me... Um, to actually notice the seasons changing for the first time possibly in my life. When, when Karis was born, I noticed for the first time the seasons changing from winter to spring. I was like, babe, there's, there's like these, they're not flowers, they're like little things on the trees. Are they going to turn into flowers? She's like, yeah, that happens every year. And I've never, ever seen buds before. 
Never. Why? Because why would I care? They're not my problem. I'm in a hurry. I'm serious. I know it's ridiculous, but I've never really seen the seasons change before. I've never appreciated it. So that's been cool. Just seeing creation, just being able to praise God for his creation. This morning I saw three bucks walk right past my house on the street, and they were glorious and yet playful and yet really intimidating. It was amazing to just see how God reflects himself in his creation. And I was not able to appreciate that before uh, walking in slowness, or at least beginning to walk in slowness. It's also taught me to engage in deep conversations uh, without getting bored or distracted. Another thing that you're welcome, world, God says. Now VJ can actually pay attention to when you say more than one sentence. Um, Again, highly recommend. I know I'm I'm just saying that after everyone. I'm getting a little tired of me saying that. But these are amazing practices. There's only two left, and one is interesting. So the next one is simplicity. Simplicity, uh, when I heard this word beforehand, or minimalism even, uh, I thought, oh, that's how you design a house. Like, you, that's a design feature, right? It's a sim- simplistic or design. It just means that everything's organized, or it means that everything is white. Uh, and I don't know which one, but it doesn't sound like Jesus cared about either one of those things. I love organizing things, so I was like, oh, cool. When I read about simplicity, I'm going to learn how to organize my stuff better. Um, and then I read about it, and it was confusing, so I, I had to leave it for a couple months and come back to it. And when I came back, This is what I found. I found that um, everything we own also owns us. Everything we own owns some of our space, some of our time, some of our money, some of our attention. There's that word again. And then some of our decisions or our decision making. Right? And so it's because we are in this cycle of hurry that we have this problem where hurry leads us or in our hurry culture we're told to want more. Right? So we work harder and then we want more, and then we work more, and then we are on the edge of this precipice here where all of our stuff is taking up all of our time, money, thoughts, energy, and decision. And we choose that cycle, unfortunately, over having time and having freedom from those things. So simplicity is how Jesus lived. Again, all these things are, and I'm not just trying to bring that back. Um, Simplicity says that more of our space more of our time, more of our money, more of our attention, obviously, and more of our decisions can be used to follow God or can be focused on following God in in loving Jesus and in loving others. Uh, It's pretty challenging, but here's a really, really, really practical example from my own life. Uh, My closet last school year had, let's just say, 25 dress shirts in it, right? Uh, Every day, I picked a dress shirt out, but at the end of the year, I realized that I only wore the same seven shirts, right? So every single day, I was looking at 25 shirts and then picking one of the same seven shirts, okay? Now, in hindsight, all that time, which sometimes I spent a long time picking a shirt and still ended up on the same shirt, all that time I spent caused me on some days to rush out of the house and maybe miss saying goodbye to Emily. It caused me to speed to work sometimes. Maybe it caused me to miss a student who had a question or who was in need. Maybe it, it caused me to miss a conversation with a coworker that I could help them with something. Or, most of the time, I can tell you that it caused me to just miss the, the margin of being able to pause and spend a little moment with God in the craziness of a workday. And so, I'm not blaming all this on having shirts. I did wear other things besides shirts, though. I did not just wear a shirt. I also wore a tie. No, I'm kidding. I wore pants. I wore pants. Um, I promise. Every day. Every day. 
Um, but the point is that even the littlest things can have large impact over time, right? Those little extra waste of time decisions, sometimes many minutes of deciding for one shirt, uh, really do add up over time. <sighs> okay, I'm almost done, I promise. The last one is prayer, which is like so obvious that it shouldn't even be a discipline, right? It's not even, like this doesn't even count on my list of spiritual formations or whatever I'm calling them, spiritual practices. It's prayer, like it's the thing that we do when we talk to God, like that's what it's called. So <laughs> um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I'm just going to say that all of these things that you see behind me, every one of them is leading to an abiding uh, and, a, and a prayerfulness with God, where, where God isn't uh, just left in our Bibles or left at church or left in our morning quiet time, but we are abiding with him throughout the day. And uh, that word abiding, I'll talk about that more next week. Hey, I'll be back next week. Um, <laughs> so all of these things are just our, our practices that Jesus did. Right? And the goal of all these practices is to bring our time and our attention back to our Father. It's the choice between trusting Jesus' example and trusting the culture's example of how we should live. And trusting that Jesus, the way Jesus lived is the way we're called to live and not a life of hurry. Now, I'm going to wrap this up here. The goal of these things is never, ever, ever, okay, that was enough, evers, um, to earn points. It's never to participate in a religious system, and it's never even to make yourself a better person. I'm going to say that again. The goal of all these things is never, ever, ever to earn points, participate in religion, or become a better person. Okay? Don't miss that point, please. The goal of these is to submit ourselves in obedience to the way of Jesus, saying yes to our relationship with our Father. Let's go to the last slide. Are we walking in the footsteps of Jesus? Can we hurry and pray? Can we hurry and worship? Can we hurry and engage with God or others? Hurry is not compatible with abiding with God. It's not compatible with walking in the Spirit. It's not compatible with praying at all times, as Ephesians 5 says. Jesus lived an unhurried life, and we are being called to walk with him. So as the worship team comes back up for the last song, I'm going to leave this question up for you one more time, or not. Are we walking in Jesus' footsteps? Are we walking in Jesus' footsteps? And here's my challenge to you guys this week. No rules, no laws. Just pick one of these practices this week and engage with it every day. Whatever that looks like to you, whatever that means for you. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'd be happy to have a conversation with you if you want to talk more about any of these things. I like talking about them a lot, as you can see. Um, but that's my challenge to you guys this week. Pick one of these practices. Worship, silence and solitude, Sabbath, prayer, generosity, slowness, simplicity. Pick one of these things, and every day, engage, engage with God in one of those ways. Come back next week and... Uh, Tell me how it went. If God's grace does not help the builders, they will labor in vain to build the house. If God's mercy does not protect the city, all the centuries will circle it in vain. 
It really is senseless to work so hard from early morning till late at night, toiling to make a living for fear of not having enough. Jesus, we surrender everything and everyone to you. Jesus, we surrender our lives to you. You are worthy of all of our lives, our every breath, all of the words that come out of our mouth. You are worthy, God, of all the glory on this earth. And so we give all the glory to you, God. I just ask that you would anoint in each heart an individual inspiration and challenge from this message today, God. Send everyone out with a word from you, God, that they would hear your voice speak individually to them. God, we, we want to bless Doyle as well this morning. God, we ask that you'd anoint him. Anoint him to bring your peace, to bring your presence into a situation that is fearful and that is worrisome, Jesus. I ask that you'd bring peace and bring your anointing there. Amen. Go in peace. Follow Jesus.